Good evening. The reading this evening is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, to chapter 3, verse 5. And on the Church Bibles, that's page 1190. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Ruth, thank you so much. And I'm just delighted to be here with you this evening, just to get a couple of things out of the way before we start. On a table at the back, put um, uh, a little leaflet if you want to respond uh, to anything about Wycliffe in terms of praying or giving or going. You tick a box and and, uh, that's helpful. And a copy of one of our old copy, actually, one of our magazines, a new one's about just being reprinted this month. So uh, take that away if you'd like it. Uh, Saves me taking it back home. So that's on the table at the back. Uh, Wycliffe's not mentioned in this particular Bible passage or indeed any part of the Bible, so uh, it's not going to crop up that much in, in my talk. Let's pray, shall we? And then we can properly make a start together. Uh, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Father, we ask that now, as we consider your word, you would direct our hearts into your love and perseverance in the gospel that we so need. Amen. Now, in that Bible reading uh, that Ruth read for us, Paul says to the Thessalonians, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored. Paul is asking Christians to pray for him, not so much for himself as that through him, the gospel message will spread rapidly. Because what you do as a church here in Hove, Brighton, has global repercussions, and both together as a church and Each of you individually have far greater spiritual impact and opportunity than you may realize, and I want to show that to you. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, This Bible reading was a letter from Paul, the Christian leader, writing back to the church, one of the churches he'd established, uh, the Thessalonians. And just keep things really simple tonight, I just want us to ask two questions from this passage. Two questions. Firstly, what is a church? And second, what does a church do? What is a church? What does a church do? Okay, now, 
you, you may think you've got some answers to that already. Yeah, fine, okay. But can we just see what this passage says, okay? First, what is a church? Now, you may have heard it said before that a church is not buildings or denominations or an institution, that a church is people. And that's what we find here. See what Paul calls them in verse 13. Verse 13, he writes, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord. These are people loved by God. They're a family made brothers and sisters by the God who loves them. That's who they are. Reading on, it says, God chose you as first fruits to be saved. These people are saved by God, saved now from the judgment that is to come. Reading on, saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. He changes our status when we believe so that we become good and pure in God's sight. It's how salvation is applied to our lives through also what it calls belief in the truth. The truth about Jesus and what he's done for us. So that belief and trust in Jesus is the defining commitment and understanding which shapes our lives. And Paul here is saying, this belief is given to us by God to bring us salvation. Yeah, it's wonderful stuff. But for the Thessalonians, entering into God's love and salvation, yeah, it didn't look impressive or spectacular. In fact, at the time, it looked rather weak. In verse 14, Paul says, God called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. To give them an eternal share in the glory of Jesus. God did not send an array of angels in shining lights to bathe upon them. No, he sent a person, Paul, with a simple message, the gospel, an announcement of good news. News about peace with God through Jesus. God called them into salvation using the mouth of a bloke called Paul who just shared the gospel with them. In, in, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul actually back there, he describes what happened. He wrote that with the help of God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. That is, the message that Paul took to them was not welcomed by most people in society. It was met with opposition, with hostility. It took courage to speak publicly about Jesus. And humanly speaking, it's remarkable that anyone believed him. But some did. They're the ones he's writing to now. And, and so a new church came into being in that city. You see, God has planned wonderful things for his people, for people to enjoy his love, a, a new family, a new status, a new understanding, a new future, sharing in glory. And all of this comes to us. We experience all of this, God calling us into all of it, when someone has the courage to share the gospel with us. It takes just one person sharing the news of salvation in Jesus for people to be saved, for a new church of God to be established. That's how a church comes into being. We simply share the message of the gospel with all people and we look to see who responds. 
And in essence, that's what a church is. It is that group of people who've responded to news of Jesus and who through faith in him have entered into the love of God forever. But there's one more thing we need to add. Because churches come into being through people speaking the gospel message, it is essential that a church keep track accurately of what the gospel message is. You know, when my children were younger, at birthday parties, they played, do you know that game, Whispers, where one person whispers to the next, and, and the more the message gets passed along down the chain, the more it gets changed, and they used to play that. And given a message to pass along, they would soon get it wrong. Well, if that were to happen to a church's understanding of the gospel, it would very quickly cease to be a church in the way we've just described. For a church to remain a church, it must stay faithful in a world of competing messages. And that's why verse 15 here is so important. Verse 15 is where Paul says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. It is critical that every church takes steps to ensure that it does not drift away from the message of Jesus, but stands firm in the truth in which we are saved. We need to make sure that we hold on tight to the message taught by Jesus through his apostles like Paul. Uh, and Paul says this teaching is now written for us in letters, letters such as the one we're reading right now, recorded in the New Testament. You see, if we think of church, church as only the people of God that God has brought together, then we're missing something. One of the distinctive hallmarks of a church is that churches also organize themselves to preserve and maintain the faith. They stand firm and hold on to the message written in the Bible. Now, why am I saying all this? And indeed, what's it got to do with the sort of mission month? Well, if that's what a church is, then here's what I wanted to show you. If a church has the gospel, the message of salvation in Jesus, and has a Bible available to them, then by God's grace, that church can now reproduce and sustain. Reproduce and sustain. By, by sustain, I mean a church with the Bible in their language is able to build itself on God's word and avoid that sort of boom buster of, of growing rapidly followed by drifting into liberalism or whatever it is, uh, of gaining strength in one generation only to, to lose it all in the next. When Paul says we're to hold fast to the teachings passed on to us by letter, he's saying that the way we continue in the truth that brings salvation is to hang on tight to, to our Bibles. And, and by reproduce, I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, because a new church can come into being anytime someone shares news of salvation in Jesus, it means that every church has potential to reproduce, to, to start new churches. If we think of churches as buildings or denominations or institutions, the idea of starting a new church sounds terribly hard, the sort of thing you'd need a committee to organize. If a church can spring into being any time someone dares to speak about Jesus, 
then all that stuff is swept aside. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, you discover Paul didn't actually spend that long with the Thessalonians. The citywide opposition to his message was so strong that the town turned against him. He had to flee overnight. He hadn't even been there long. But apparently, just a few weeks later, later when, he, when he writes the first letter, he's already heard that that church is already reproducing. In 1 Thessalonians 1, he wrote that the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, which is the surrounding region where they lived. He said, your faith in God has become known everywhere. The, the, the gospel message that came to them from Paul, and, and now that same message is now ringing out from them uh, through that whole region and beyond. These Thessalonians, they believe the gospel that they heard, so they just start sharing that gospel with others that they too might hear and believe. That's how the new churches were coming into being. When, when those who have received the gospel start passing it on to others, to others in their city, working out from their city to their nation, and then around the world. And if we have in our heads some understanding of the gospel or of, of church, sorry, in which this couldn't happen to us, or if we have believed the lie that churches only decline and not grow, then we have misunderstood what church is. We have the gospel. We have the Bible. Nothing more is needed. The gospel should be ringing out from us. That's all it takes from Hove, Brighton, to the UK, to the world. And yeah, we today might not receive the same response that the Thessalonians did. Mostly that's a relief. They were severely opposed and persecuted. But we should have the same courage and show the same initiative and perseverance. God calls people into salvation through the gospel message and places us in churches where we can feed on God's word. So letting people know this gospel message is our main priority. Longing to see them come to Christ, giving them access to God's word for themselves. That is what happened to us. So that is what we do for others. Now, at this point in the talk, um, it's your mission month, isn't it? It's normally the sort of point in the talk where preachers like me might be talking about that M word, mission. And, and perhaps you could see this coming because you've heard mission talks before. And, and I said at the start of the talk, well, there's going to be two questions today. Uh, what is a church and, and what does a church do? And, and you're thinking, well, James is from Wycliffe Bible Translators. So by the time I get on to what does a church do, I'm going to do all this mission bit. And, and, and the mission bit's going to come in and, and you've seen this talk all coming. But, but could you just hold on, please, a minute? Hang on. I, I'm not even there yet. I'm saving that bit for later. I'm still on this question of what is a church? But do you see that we can't even talk about what a church is without already seeing that it is in the essential nature of churches that we are outward looking and concerned for the world around us? If the story of our lives is that someone shared the gospel with us and that was how God saved us, then the immediate implication is that we will do the same for others that they too may join God's family and share forever in the glory of Jesus. 
So here at Bishop Hannington, if your life as a church is sustained by God through being built on God's word, then straight away you will be concerned that all God's people should have access to God's word to keep them on track also. And you'll be concerned to reach this city, this nation and and around the world. You can't really say what a church is without noticing that one of its characteristics must be that it seeks to reproduce to start new churches with the gospel, giving them the Bible in their language so that they can be faithful and strong. And, and, and that in this way, the process of church planting and church growth is a continuous cycle. Now, let's be realistic. Sometimes in some parts of the world, that work is easier and it happens quickly. You sometimes read stories about that. Sometimes in some parts of the world, it is harder and takes greater perseverance. It can often be the case in this country, but let's, let's, you know, let's not be too down about it. Either way, it is what all churches should look like. In the words of Jesus, he said, we're to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. And those new disciples are in turn to do the same for others. So that if you put it all together, you find that Bishop Hannington is to be a church which starts churches that start churches amongst all social groups in this country and all nations around the world. And we are each to make disciples who make disciples, locally, nationally, internationally. Now, at Wycliffe Bible Translators, that's what we're about. We long for a world in which everyone can know Jesus through the Bible. Yeah, as I said, one in five people alive today don't even have the Bible in their language. And globally, that's a significant factor hindering the growth of churches. You know, the largest people group we're, we're working with at the moment is 19 million people. And 19 million people, they're just a very few, just a handful of known believers. And people say, well, why, why, why do you work there if there's no Christians? Like, why would they need the Bible? Well, what do you think? Surely part of the answer is that there are no Christians because they have no Bible. Until someone translates the Bible, how will the gospel message come to them? How will churches be formed which are able to sustain and reproduce those people in, in that difficult context for Christ? You need the gospel in people's languages to be able to, to, to share it well. You need the Bible in people's languages for them to get the same access to God's word that we take for granted. But, you know, other mission organizations are available. When we, when we look more widely, can I ask you, Do you pray for world mission? In in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul writes, Pray for us that the message of the Lord may be spread rapidly and be honored. So pray that the news of Jesus would not delay, but would spread like wildfire. That those who hear it would not reject it, but would welcome it and honor the Lord with their response. You know, the churches that see new churches starting whether in the UK or or, or globally, they are the churches that pray for this to happen. Those churches and Christians who have in their hearts that what we have received should be made urgently available to others, and so they prioritize this in prayer. Praying for the gospel to be known, praying for God's word to be available. And after all, why belong to a big church like Bishop Hannington if you're not going to encourage each other to pray big prayers to the God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. 
Now, I, I should say something about that second question, shouldn't I? Uh, what does the church do? What does the church do? Um, okay, I have, I have already started to answer that. Sorry, I, you noticed I couldn't help it. A, a church that doesn't seek to do these things, uh, to stay and reproduce, it's not all a church is supposed to be. In chapter 3, verse uh, 4, uh, Paul says, We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things that we command. That is, the church that is sustained by God's word will do God's word. We'll put it into action as we each live out the teaching we've received, both individually and together supporting one another to do the same. So, if we had our time again, perhaps a better question would have been, how does a church do that? How does a church do that? Because it's all very well in theory, but, but what does it look like in practice? I mean, there can be so much spiritual apathy in the UK, we start to wonder if the people around us really would be interested in, in hearing about Jesus. And we can maybe feel, feel tempted to give up trying to share the gospel, to just keep quiet and hope for the best, and, and maybe leave it to others who are better at that sort of thing. We, we'll, we'll settle for being part of a church that is sustaining us with God's word without seeking to reproduce never stopping to ask, what sort of a church is it that we're sustaining if reproducing is on our wish list, not our task list? So I find it quite helpful in the middle of this reading. Let me share it with you. Chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, where Paul says, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. This is how we do it. This is how it works for those who are called to stay and reach Brighton. This is how it works for those of us who must be sent out globally to the many unreached people groups waiting to hear the good news. The God who already showed his love for us, who has already encouraged us and given us hope, see what God wants to do for us today. Verse 17 to encourage our hearts and strengthen us in every good deed and word. Notice there the combination of deeds and words. Christians are people who have been changed by the Holy Spirit so that we start to love our neighbor as ourselves. Good deeds start to emerge. It's, it's inevitable. Christians can't help but help others. That's who we become as God remakes us in his image. But also words. God strengthens us to speak, to speak of Jesus to each other, discipleship, building each other up on God's word, and to speak of Jesus to our world, evangelism based on God's word. So deeds and words, not words without deeds, but not deeds without words either, but both together. Deeds and words, godly living and godly speaking, being like Jesus both in what we say and what we do. That's how churches do it. That's how churches reproduce in, in diverse settings in this country and across diverse cultures globally, all in prayerful dependence on God and reliance on his power alone. This actually is true for the whole of the Christian life. But since it's your mission month, uh, let's this evening just focus on our mission. We've talked about the need to pray for the gospel to spread rapidly and be honored. But the reality is that the gospel only spreads as far as people travel. 
and as far as people pay for them to travel. When you think about countries with few Christians, typically it's not that there are no good churches, so much as that those churches are too small to start new churches, too small for the scale of the task in their country. And they need help from places with more Christians, some from larger churches. So in a, in a nice uh, place uh, like, like Hove, you may not appreciate the, the urgent need around the world. What opportunity do unbelievers today have to hear about Jesus where they live? It's estimated that over a billion people alive today live in communities where fewer than one in 10,000 people is a believer. Worse than that, of those... 860 million living communities where fewer than one in a hundred thousand is a believer. Worse than that, of those 830 million people have no or almost no known Christians in their people group. 830 million people have no or almost no known Christians in their people group. That's 11% of the world's population. Friends, you do not have access to the gospel when there are no followers of Jesus to listen to. You do not have access to the gospel when there is no Bible in the language you can understand. Let me me give you an example. Consider India. In India, there are 458,000 villages with no known Christians. There are loads of Christians in India, but there are still, in a vast country, there are still too few to be able to reach their country on their own. It needs others to join them, physically going to join them, or or joining them financially, setting apart their mission workers uh, to help with the work. Actually, in, in India, the majority of languages there are still awaiting Bible translation, which makes the problem worse. Again, there are Christians there who can do the work, but they need the Christians here to support them by prayer and giving. And more people are needed to do the same. I wonder if anyone uh, today is going to go. Will, Will any of you consider taking your skills further overseas to have a very different sort of career or different sort of retirement, whether with Wycliffe Bible Translators or another good mission organization, to advance the cause of church growth globally? And you say, oh, James, you're, you're putting a bit too much pressure on now. It makes us uncomfortable when you say that. But I pray that God would strengthen some of you here today from this morning and evening congregations for this good deed, for this persevering lifestyle of putting our own welfare and aspirations behind the needs of the gospel to help weak churches sustain themselves in God's word and to take part in reproducing churches where there are none until all people everywhere have access to news of Jesus and of his great salvation. Jesus himself came to seek and save the lost. That is to say that relocating for the sake of others, stepping outside your comfort zone, laying down your own life for their salvation is the greatest good deed of all. And when we lower our living standards to fund those who do this, we are doing the right thing. I was in the, um, on, on my phone, I was in the app store on my phone, and it recommended for me an app 
for church leaders, maybe helpful, Phil, I don't know, for church leaders to keep track of their performance indicators. So, so you, could, you could type in the size of your congregation, and it would measure the growth in the size of your church as a church leader, how many people are coming, uh, the number of converts, uh, put in the finance data, tell you what's happening with the income, how much money's been given, and so on. I think a future version may have some sort of trip advisor score for the preacher's sermons. You could rate them. That was my idea. It is all complete nonsense, of course. I'm not going to mention which country it came from on an international sort of day like this with the flags out. And I, I wouldn't want to embarrass the Americans who are present anyway. But it was, it was striking. If you're going to measure things, it was striking what was missing If you really want to measure something, why not measure how many people were sent? Why not measure how many people were given, how much money was given away? Some of you, many of you will be called by God to stay in this area, to reach Hove and Brighton, to produce new churches here and in this region. And you will need courage and perseverance to do that. But the impact will be limited unless in each generation a new wave of people relocate to continue the work elsewhere. Will this mission month be the time that some here commit to relocating for the sake of a greater purpose and others commit to seriously supporting this work with prayer and money? This is Paul's concern. He says, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. When the gospel comes to us, we honor it by accepting it. And our prayer now should be for mission workers, that through them the gospel message would spread rapidly as people hear about Jesus and be honored by people turning to Christ so new churches are established. And I've been learning about some of your mission partners at BH, and I understand that, that your current generation of mission partners who you support are actually former members of this morning's congregation and of this congregation. So I take it, therefore, that the next generation of, of mission partners from Bishop Hannington are current members of this morning and this evening's congregations and that are here today. Friends, I think this should be your prayer concern for home and for Brighton, if it's not already, that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly through this city and be honored. It should be your prayer for our country, if it is not already, that this country might discover the message of Jesus and honor it. And it should be your prayer for our world. And it should be your prayer that Bishop Hannington not be known for how many people come or how much income is raised, but for how many people go and how much is given away. Let's pray. Pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. Father God, thank you that the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus has reached us who didn't deserve it. And we are mindful of those who have not heard in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in this region, and in too many parts of the world. We realize they will not hear unless people go. Please make those of us take part in spreading this news of Jesus rapidly, that it may be honored in this part of the world. 
And please raise up those amongst us who can be sent out to carry on this great work elsewhere. That all people might be given opportunity to hear and believe the good news of Jesus for themselves before it is too late. For the greater honor and glory of Jesus we pray. Amen.